Hey, Evan, if you saw, like, a hybrid of two very monstrous creatures, you'd probably be pretty surprised, right? I, I would be, uh, frightened, I'm sure, yeah. Shocked mundo, and you'd probably exclaim something out of that surprise. What, what do you think you'd say? I think, I think it would be more just a, just an uncontrollable shriek of terror. I don't think I would, I would have the words <laughs> to describe my feeling. I was going for, I thought you might say, jeepers! Like Velma tends to say, and like this episode is titled, but you'd more make the sound that the Jaguaro itself makes. <laughs> is that what you're saying? <laughs> oh, man, and you just told me not to spike my audio. <laughs> and, I, and I just did badly. I'm going to have to level that out later, iron those, those wrinkles over. Uh, today we're covering Jeepers, it's the Jaguaro. Ever since uh, we did... Um, make a beeline away from that feline and i saw that this episode preceded it i've wanted to cover it so this has been a long time coming but we've, we've finally done it yeah and remind me is the thing that really drew you to this episode the fact that it's a the, the villain is a giant ape with just a panther head or a saber-toothed tiger head literally the entire reason that and the fact that it's called the jaguaro it, it's the it's potentially the most ridiculous looking villain we've seen so far it's also like I, we don't discuss this in the episode but mm -hmm. the idea that you could take a normal animal name and add an O to the end of it, and suddenly <laughs> it is a monster. Ooh, and, and because it takes place in Brazil, it makes it seem like they're just trying to trying to spice it up to, to make it seem reflective of that language, I guess? I th I, that must be what it is. I mean, like, what other animal does that work with? Panthero? I mean, like, Lion-O is already, like, a Thundercat, you know? Is it? Oh, man, I didn't even know that. This, this villain looks a little bit like a Thundercat. Like, it's... I feel like you're very much drawn to Luke, villains that are... I feel like you have never yeah. seen Thundercats before. <laughs> aren't, aren't the Thundercats just a team-up of Scooby-Doo villains that have been defeated? Like, the Suicide Squad of Scooby-Doo. Is that not Thundercats? Okay, that is a premise I love. I would love that to explore amazing. that. That is amazing. We need to dedicate an entire episode to that idea. All right, bonus episode content locked down. For the moment, we really got to get moving on to Jeepers, It's the Jaguaro, the episode at hand. Yeah, <laughs> please enjoy. Please enjoy. By the way, who are we? <laughs> we, okay, we, you and I together, mm -hmm. are the Scooby Dudes. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're two best friends um, talking about our favorite meddling kids. And their dumb dog, too. Who's named Scooby-Doo. This is our podcast. We're going to take you all the way through a particular episode of Scooby-Doo. Uh, this one's a standalone episode. Just dive right in if it's your first time listening. What do you think? Good? Two dudes talking Talk about Scooby-Doo. Two, two dudes, dudes just like you. you. Unless you're a lady. Ooh. The show is for ladies, too. If, if you're LGBTQ... Wow, man, it's early in the morning. Evan is hungover, so he's got an excuse. No, I had a joke. I had a joke to introduce that. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I was going to talk about what, what do you call it with, when something is suspended above you. I, oh, it's a hangover. Yeah, it's hungover. Oh, uh, I think in your case it'd be a youngover, right? Okay. You're youngover. <laughs> Please, just play the theme song. <laughs> Bye. Two dudes talking about Scooby-Doo. Two dudes just like you. Unless you're a lady, mm, this show is for ladies too. If you're LGBTQ, we are your Scooby-Doos. Okay, so I would like to start this episode off with something we have been neglecting to do. 
Ooh, something we haven't done in a long, long time. Uh, and you know what that is? Sleepover. <laughs> We're going to have a sleepover real quick. Man, we haven't had one of those in ages. I think technically when I visited you in April, I had a sleepover, but we were not we were it, not in the same room. We were not in the same bed, and that's the reason it's not a sleepover. Not like our sleepovers in high school. Oh, man, the, the three of us on Chad's, was that a queen? I think it was a queen size. Chad didn't sleep with us, the other two of us, you, me, and Matt, because did he sleep in his own bed? <laughs> no, we were, we were all in his room. No, we slept in the guest room, didn't we? Did we? Yeah, dude, we slept in the guest room. I thought we slept in the room with the Xbox, i.e. Chad's room. No, at, l at least three of us would go into the, uh, the other room to sleep. Deep cuts from our high school. So what I really wanted to start the episode with was reading the synopsis, because we used to, we, we used to do it a lot, and I felt like it set up the episode well for uh, v listeners who may have not seen the episode themselves prior to listening to us. And what I like to do is just read what Wikipedia has. Uh, so as the intro probably stated, um, this is Jeepers, It's the Jaguaro. It's Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? Season 3, Episode 8. And the synopsis is as follows. Okay, please go ahead. After an emergency landing in a jungle in Brazil, the gang get caught between headhunter natives and the Jaguaro, a creature with the head of a jaguar and the body of an ape. That is a terrible premise. A child wrote that premise. And then a child did editing work on that. I think we need to read this, the premise on the Scooby Wikia, the, the truly the gold standard of premises. Um, okay, all right. Which, of course, we all know reads. Ooh, come on. <laughs> I was going to have this ready. <laughs> <laughs> Flawless segue. <laughs> so smooth. While stuck in the Brazilian jungle, the gang learn about the Jaguaro, a panther-ape hybrid who has been terrorizing the area. I think that one's snappy. It's short. It really it lays out what the episode is. That, that could be... It is actually pretty good. I, I started going to Wikipedia because for some reason... I believe these to be the official, like, Hanna-Barbera TM uh, sy synopses. But, but they're not. In fact, they're not even, and neither of those are even accurate. For that, we need to go to IMDB to get their synopsis. Right, rule, rule of threes, let's just mm -hmm. finish this off. Okay, so IMDB says, When their plane crashes en route to Rio, the kids confront the legendary Jaguaro, a creature half-saber-toothed tiger, half-ape. Which, and I, by its definition of the creature... I would actually say this is the most accurate accurate synopsis that we've read so far. With that, I think that makes up for the synopses we didn't do, right? Yeah. We're good. <laughs> now now we'll just put it off again for another like 12, 13 episodes. Yeah. And then we'll read we'll find a couple other sources. Um this um, this episode begins mm -hmm. with the gang hurling at hundreds of miles per hour through the air. It doesn't quite though. It be, it opens with uh, a few natives um worshiping the jaguaro. Or at least a statue of it. How, how could I forget the natives when, in my notes, <laughs> the first line that I have here says, three words, ah, the racism. <laughs> it's, not like, it's not like racism now, which is like raw and unrefined. This racism has aged, like a wine or a cheese. It's almost innocent racism. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Like, oh, they, uh, they, they thought this was the most racist they could be. It's... it's it's awful. I well, I the thing is, I think a lot of racism now is so like is all racism is abhorrent. But I think that a lot of a lot of racism now is very pointed. 
and and mean-spirited whereas i think this racism is born out of ignorance and it's all bad but i think that's why i can sort of look back on this with a modicum of fondness yeah i think i might i want to say it was never okay but it becomes less okay with each passing day that we all have yesterday to look back on and say man wasn't that bad and so um that said some racisms are just kind of better than others not like morally but like a fine wine again we're connoisseurs here evan and i are sampling these wonderful little racist tidbits these little morsels from history and we're, we're giving them we're, to uh, you. We're, we're we're taking a sip we're swishing it about in our mouths we don't swallow no <laughs> here at scooby dudes we spit we spit out the racism oh thought you were gonna give us another catchphrase scooby dudes swallow <laughs> It's catchier. You can have one on one sneaker, another on the other. Ah, uh, yes. The way that people prefer to, uh, to wear their branding. Display, yeah, display their uh, their catchphrases as as a little as a, emblazoned on their sneakers. Yeah, split up too, so not, the, both sneakers don't say the same thing. That's a waste of two different shoes. We open on natives worshiping a statue of the jaguar, which, as IMDb said, is a saber-toothed tiger ape hybrid like the giant body of an ape and the relatively modest head of a saber-toothed tiger and it's understandable that the other snop sees uh describe it as a panther bit because it is black like a panther is but it does have these very large in uh canines uh, and this, this statue is huge so it's very imposing we don't know where it came from we're not getting any of the legend of the jaguaro uh and, and the reason the reason that i did um state that it, so i should probably mm. say why i said it was racist um, it's because the natives, like, if you asked a linguist, and your parents are linguists, mm-hmm. um, they would listen to these uh, to these native peoples, and they would not be able to discern an actual language behind what they're saying. It is just, it's it's like degrees away from Uga Booga. That's a, that's a good way of putting it. It is that kind of, like, tribal chanting that is... It, it kind of seems to portray these people as ritualistic and barbaric, and I don't feel like it's based in fact or an appreciation of the culture. So it's disappointing there, but it's basically establishing there's this mythos around the jaguaro, and we hear in the distance a a scream, which sounds to me, I think I've said to you before, Evan, exactly like a man stepping on a Lego for the first time. It's it's hilarious because, and I'm pretty sure, because I used to play like um, Amazon Trail, which was like this, mm. the jungle version of the Oregon, Oregon Trail. Trail. And I remember hearing, like, I'm pretty sure jaguar or panther sounds were part of that. And they didn't sound like this. This literally, like you said, sounds like a man screaming. Ah! (laughs) Ah! (laughs) This is like a jaguar. You know, it's like got this low rumble to it. It's it's a dude. There's nothing particularly feline about it. Nothing whatsoever. In like the in the in the great cat sense. And the shout of the jaguaro is done by John Stevenson or Stephenson. I'm not sure, but he also voiced Fred Flintstone's boss, uh, Mr. Slate, a voice that probably no one can remember. Uh, So moving on, that's our opening. The jaguaro has somehow come to life. It would seem. Uh, And yeah, as I said. it's not the way the episode opens up, but when we do first see the gang, they are hurtling through the air at ludicrous speeds. Yeah, and they're they're caged up too. They're imprisoned as they're hurtling through the air at these insane speeds. And uh, they're they're guards, bunch of Mexicans, man. <laughs> so as as the um, 
<clears throat> as the IMDb synopsis said, they are on their way to Rio de Janeiro, uh, mm-hmm. where they're going to uh, they're going to celebrate <clears throat> Carnival. The Carnival. Carnival. Oh man. Please check out our website for where that reference is coming from. We're not just being silly. Yeah, I and we're not. I yeah. just want to give you all of our listeners incentive. Go to the website, check out the show notes. You'll be able to understand what that is. Um, what what we see is uh, Scooby. Two things about them uh, being over the jungles of Brazil, being in Brazil. One of them being, as you said, that the pilots are Mexicans. Mm. But I very firmly believe that they thought. The, with the the voice direction and with the acting, they assumed that uh, Brazilian people were Hispanic, which is not true. Because yeah, yeah. no, d- completely different. Hispanic things. means Spanish speaking, and in Brazil they speak Portuguese. Yeah, and these, I think they use some Spanish phrases. Jose and Luis do are two pilots, so it's pretty telling. On top of that, they both have Speedy Gonzalez voices, uh, virtually identical. Speedy Gonzalez voices. Can you you sort of describe the way you said what is it back of the back it's of the mouth? Like to do an American version, it's very nasal and it's back here. And it's like yeah, like if you scrunch your neck up and you talk in the back lower part of your mouth, I kind of visualize it there. That's where the voice comes from. It's very seedy and pleading and kind of um I I don't know. It's it doesn't sound good. It's not very sensitive. One of these pilots is voiced by John Stevenson again, the shout of the Jaguar. The other one, disappointingly, even though it, I would have loved to believe they were both John Stevenson because they sound identical, the other one was Casey Kasem, our beloved Shaggy. And it is, it's just one of those things. It's disappointing when your heroes act or behave in such a way at, that would be normal for the time period because we want our heroes to, 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 to surpass the norms in which they existed it's just what it's what we would prefer yeah and especially if it's a long time back you want to believe that these people who you still appreciate had other enduring good qualities to them and being on the right side of history is a pretty enduring good quality um that said you know somebody i don't think that the creative input was necessarily casey Kasem's. it's hard to say where this these scripts came from all the way back then it's not like we have credits at the end of it tell us who wrote this thing so we can't cast blame we can only crash the plane because that's what happens yeah uh there there's a very brief sort of humorous segment where we see scooby for the second time and we mm. i think two episodes ago it occurred scooby is sort of like cosplaying as the Chiquita Banana Girl. Oh, yeah, yeah he's do, yeah, doing salsa work. Here he's not wearing the salsa dress, but everything else, he's got the fruit on his head, and he's got the macarenas, and he's actually shaking the plane up and down. The pilots tell him to stop. Yeah, he he's dancing with such a vigor that he's shaking the plane until they realize the plane itself, there are mechanical problems that are causing well, the plane All to we falter. hear is Jose say, Luis, the gas tanks. And frankly, my accent, there that... I feel like it's not what they did. I'm trying to do as little of it as possible. Um, but all they say is the gas tanks. And then they do a cr- emergency landing. One last thing um, is that uh, they're on a plane, but it doesn't have those helpful little cards uh, that <laughs> other planes would have. Um, and Velma hmm. recommends to the rest of the gang that they should, and I quote, take a pillow and hold it in front of your face. To which I would respond, Daph or Velma, you don't know that you're going to die. 
this this seems like such a, such an absurd suicide pact that you're insisting everybody take place part in. There's no need to one flew over the cuckoo's nest each other, Velma. You could still survive this, and if you don't, it's done. An extreme perspective, but she uh, she assumes the role of that informational card on the airplane. That's our Velma for us. Um, fortunately, they are flying over an area of Brazil that has a, a it's mostly jungle, but it has a brief clearing in it. A circular clearing that they're able to touch down in. Not a landing strip at all, but a circular clearing, which somehow they do manage to touch down in successfully. And, I mean, as mature, intelligent listeners, you probably have a pretty good idea that helicopters and planes land very differently. Uh, a helicopter can land vertically, just straight down. A plane needs to descend gradually. It's, it's, it, this isn't logical, but it's a cartoon. It, whatever. Yeah. We're not going to go through and point out every single animation mistake. Oh, man, I want to do that now, though. That'd be great. <laughs> uh, but we touch, we touch down. The pilots tell us uh, these locals are... Uh, no, what is... Shaggy says he's afraid that these are cannibals. And, and uh, either Jose or Luis, I cannot remember for the life of me which one, is very quick mm. to assure him that these natives are not cannibals. These natives instead are uh what does he say they're they're recruiters no, they're, yeah they're high level corporate recruiters they're talent scouts no they're headhunters that's what it and, is and, and that's the thing shaggy has never been more terrified of anything he's never been more scared of anything than getting a job he loves his like, job and he's afraid he's going to be wooed away from it actually um seduced by uh, by some fancy big city headhunter i i do want to come out and say that there are there are there are native populaces or cultures in which cannibalism was practiced uh, in certain Polynesian islands. Mm. Um, there are some uh, cultures in Peru where head hunting was practiced, like shrunken heads. That was a real thing that people did. That said, mm. pretty horrible of Shaggy to be like, "Oh, hey, do these natives eat people?" And then terrible of the show and the show writers to be like, "No, they don't. They just collect heads." They shrink heads and sew mouths shut. That's all they do. It's, like you said, it's a, th- a real thing that happens, but the big benefit of Scooby-Doo is that we ha- can have fake monsters. And we can have, like, a just it's a, a low-level crook who just also likes to cosplay. That's what the bad guy is. We don't have to have, like, serial killers or headhunters in this show. And it's really insensitive that that's the direction they take this foreign culture when that's not the direction they take they're like an American uh, setting. And so that's the effed up thing I think there we have about it. And there's nothing redeeming that comes out from these, uh, these natives. It, there's not. We're, there's, we're not withholding anything from later in the episode. There's no revelations. They're never humanized. No, it's um, one thing that we mentioned in, in the big racist episode that we've done um, coming up to this um, mystery mask mm. mix-up. Yes. Is that while the villain is sort of like a is like an evil Chinese ghost warlord and that there's some there's some really horrible like racist impressions in that episode. Yeah, and the gang we, participates more than in this episode in that one. We do racism. still see that um, the detective who uh, performs the arrest at the end of the episode is Chinese. And it really impresses upon you the fact that like they're they're people too. Like right? Like sure they can be like crooks or villains, but they can be like heroes and good guys. Well, yeah, just like any other race, of pe- it's down to the individual, not to the not to the race. There's and that's no, not the message we get here. No three-dimensionality at all. No. 
Um, either Jose or Luis takes a page from Hunter S. Thompson's book, Fear of Loathing in Las Vegas. He he informs the gang that uh, this is... I'm not going to do the voice. This is Jaguaro country. He literally says that exact phrase. I didn't look up the timing on which came first, but Hunter S. Thompson owes these guys money. I don't know where he is. Probably in the Cayman Islands somewhere. Living off his fear and loathing in Las Vegas money. <laughs> um, and, but he generally does say it's Jaguaro country. And... They also describe, and as we confirmed with IMDb, it's a creature with the body of an ape, head of a saber-toothed tiger. The gang really needs to get to Rio in time to celebrate Carnival. <laughs> yes, they can't miss the Carnival. So they decide that while the pilots check over the uh, the plane, the gang is going to sp- go out where the headhunters are, for some reason, and split up. One of them will check the river, the other group will check the village of the headhunters. They ask, they ask Shaggy and Scooby to go to the village, which, as I think you're sort of intimating, is a pretty unwise idea, given that the natives have been uh, painted as being savages who will take your head. Yeah, and it's, I mean, like, that's an insensitive thing, but it does turn out to be true. And if they suggested that to me, I would from that moment on think they want to be dead. That's, like, if, they, if you suggest that in seriousness, they're like, are you, are you serious? That's like asking me to step out of the plane while we're flying. So, so um, the gang actually acquiesces, or I don't know if that's the right word, but the gang is like, or rather, Fred, Velma, and Daphne are like, don't worry, we'll check out the village. You go to the river, see if you can find a boat. Yeah, they yield to Shaggy's protests. And what takes place next is, and I've, I've been summing up a lot, I was wondering if maybe you wanted to do this, what I described as an extremely Disney-esque sequence. Yes, well, I mean... It's, I, when I was watching this sequence, I thought of Disney characters. And basically, Scooby and Shaggy hear the Jaguaros scream as they're walking across the river. They, uh, they run, and as they're running away, they alert this, they wake up this parrot that's napping. And this parrot isn't happy that they woke it up because it was having such a very nice nap. So it pretends to be the Jaguaro and sneaks up on Scooby and Shaggy and shouts at the Jaguaro. A pretty easy thing to do because, again, it's just a man in pathetic distress. And, and it scares Scooby and Shaggy. And then once they're scared and like shivering after they've been scared out of the bush that they're hiding in, the, the parrot like throws a little laughing fit on the ground. You know where you're like pounding the ground with your hands and like kicking it with your feet and just like tears rolling out of your eyes, <clears throat> which is one of those things. I don't know if that ever existed. Where did that come from? But that's, and the parrot looks like Iago from Aladdin. That was my big thought. Oh man, was that a good summary? I can do it faster, man. Uh, yeah. Put me in again. No, there, I mean, there was one part that I that I wanted to point out just because I really liked reading about animals as a kid and I'm still a huge nerd. Yeah. Um, Scooby and Shaggy, uh, when they wake up the parrot, they end up warning it to the existence of the jaguaro. That's a good point. And uh, the, jaguar, uh, the parrot does turn around, is spooked, and then chases them. Mm. Um, and what happens in, like, the African savanna is that when there are birds that fly away or if like if one wildebeest starts to run all the zebras will run yeah you know because it, it's, an, that... it's an early warning system that alerts you to a john woo film in the process so you know to flee as fast as you can <laughs> <laughs> but yeah this parrot does not abide by the laws of nature it's so, it's such a petty bird it's a jerk parrot and it's amazing that it hasn't been uh eliminated from the from existence at this point it's a weak link uh, one thing I did want to say about the Jaguaro, which I think we've already, I mean, the descriptions mm. that have been said, I think are, are pretty accurate. 
But yeah, unlike the the gorilla costumes in um, No Thanks, masked Manx, which had like a very hunched over like gorilla body, this yeah. the body of the jaguaro is like is like a Sasquatch or like Bigfoot. Like its limbs mm. are so straight, mm. and its its feet yeah. are like not are not even very curved. They're just like flat, and also the jaguaro is so large, like tall, like like eight feet tall, that Andre the Giant would not be able to fill out this costume. This is uh, this is Andre the Giant in a heavily padded costume. If Andre the Giant had gone to West Point, and that's where he learned posture, it's like very straight back. This this is not. There's no attempt to look like an animal. Uh, and and just enormous. It, it towers over everyone it's always. So big. And there's never that moment where we zoom out and we see it from the side, and it's not actually that big. Like that the never The only happens. monster in my memory that has ever been bigger than this has been when the gremlin in um, mm. in the fall dog controls the robot to pick them up. Yeah, the only thing I can think like, of by the... comparison would be something from a pup named Scooby Doo, because proportionately the gang is so much smaller. That's yeah, that's a pretty good point actually. This is this is it's they a... are to this monster as the children were to like adults in costumes. Yes, that's basically what it is. So this must be a double adult. It's our first clue, and uh, and Scooby and Shaggy do manage to run away from that um, from it. They. That in the process of trying to run away, okay, here's where the the action really kicks in, folks. Here's where it gets good. It, it's sort of like they fell out of the frying pan into the fire and out of that fire into a larger fire. Into hell. Uh, but with nature, like with yeah. with uh, so the, n- nature threats. They're running away from the jaguaro. They there's nowhere to go. Well, I mean, they could just keep running down the river. But Scooby jumps on a log that's by the river. And scoops it out with the ease of scooping Play-Doh. That's how he scoops this log out to make it a, a viable boat. It's a, a river-worthy vessel indeed, and they just both hop in it and start sailing down the river. They're safe, but then the jaguaro pulls on a branch that's up on the side of this uh, log and uncorks it such that the log starts filling with water. So it's a branch that kind of went all the way through, I guess. Don't think about it too much. Anyway, so it's filling with water, but Scooby's like, I've got this. He plugs it up, if you know what I mean. And then Shaggy is like, with hey, his there's tail. piranhas. He plugs what? it up with his tail. Say what? His tail is the body part that he uses to plug the boat, the canoe. Oh. Uh, yeah, Scooby does plug it. And then Shaggy says, hey, the, there's piranhas eating the bottom of this boat. And the piranhas uh, do chew up all the bottom of the boat until it's all gone. And then an alligator chomps up at Scooby and Shaggy. And, and they they yeah. grab up. Shaggy grabs a vine, and obviously the obvious gag is that mm. the vine is the tail of a an extremely large snake. A big old snakey poo. <clears throat> and so now they're caught between. Uh, I want to say a crock and a hard place. Oh, but there's no snake version of a hard place. What what would you do with that, man? Help me out. I'm here. trying to think of snake names that rhyme with either of the words hard or place. Between a rock and a hard mm. snake. I think that's as good as it gets. You know what? It's I'll I'll put it I'll put in the corrections if I come up with a better pun. You know, I'll admit it's no big Frank's diary, but it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I know we directed you to our to our website before. To get that you will need to donate a, you need to go to our any Patreon. sum of money on Patreon. 
It's and we'll give it to you. Very just funny. Just unload it. I, um, maybe okay, not man, that we, funny. Yeah, we we yeah. we got to we got to we got to get We really got to move. So, um yeah, the, the grab on the snake, snake tail. It's not a vine, it's a snake. There's an alligator. It's chomping up at them. They jump into the air. They fly through the air. They land in a pile of vines. Scooby's body is caught up in one of these vines. He hangs, Clayton style. We only see the silhouette as Shaggy looks on. Um, this, this marks, I think, our third or fourth reference to to Clayton Clayton's demise in to Disney's the Clayton Tarzan. death in Tarzan. Um, man, it's so. I mean, good. suffice to say, it is a really wacky non-stop no holds barred uh comedy action sequence Mm -hmm. uh which is like and and i will be up front and say that scooby and shaggy don't really eat food in this episode um but as as our good friend jonathan colton berry has pointed out um it's it's easy for them to eat food but another thing that scooby and shaggy do a lot of is these sort of uh death-defying physics uh physics defying feats yeah absolutely that's a a big part of their dynamic more so i'd say than food but food is really memorable and it's kind of easy as well um but they they've made it out we're panning from there to fred daphne and velma who are looking on uh, through these leaves to all these natives who are doing some kind of ritual dance again kind of ooga booga ish as evan indicated earlier to use evan's racist term that he coined Um, it's it's funny that they sent Scooby and Shaggy to go to the river to find a boat because they're the ones who find a boat. And a boat pulls up, and it's this uh, Australian man named Barney. He's dressed in a lot of khaki, mm. who said that he's making a film about the Jaguaro worshippers. Um, and he also points out that that dance that they're doing is them getting riled up to, I guess, uh, collect some heads. Yeah, they're going after somebody. Probably you, says Barney. You know, because... You guys flew the, flew the giant metal bird that apparently awoke the jaguaro, so they, they're kind of blaming it on you. Uh, and also, Barney cannot take them on his boat because he would be going up river again. And the Amazon's like the largest river in the world. Uh, its its mm. flow is very heavy. It's a heavy flow all the time of the month. That's the Amazon for you. Do you think that's why it's the Amazon warriors are what they? Oh man. I'm gonna type a quick email to Marvel and then we're back in the recording. Give me like one second. Why why would you send that email to Marvel? So that they can use it against DC. (laughs) (laughs) Sick save. (gasps) (laughs) I was afraid I said something stupid somewhere in there. Close one. Um what happens when the gang meets back up with Shaggy? I'm sorry, really quick. Barney, our Australian friend they meet, clearly Frank Welker doing that voice as well to the degree and frank walker voices fred to the degree that this sounds like fred doing a bad australian accent i feel like they were in the the cat they were in the room with all the voices like who can do an australian accent and no one raised their hand and then who sucks the least and then frank welker raised his hand he came he came out on top in that contest i'm sorry you were saying uh i believe frank offers to help them in any way that he can but he he goes off when the when the gang when barney does yes yeah, when Fred, Daphne, and Velma meet back up with Scooby and Shaggy, there's this. There, Scooby and Shaggy are under a pile of leaves, and something takes place, and it's I think one of two, or actually I would say three really weird, disturbing things that Scooby does with his body, because they're under a pile of leaves hiding. Um, Scooby, pokes out of the pile of leaves 
what I dubbed an, an organic periscope. You know, like a, it looked like a tire iron, but you knew it had to be a periscope. Is what he meant. Yeah, it looked exactly like a tire iron, but and it had to be Scooby's body. But there was no like eye on the end of it. No, <laughs> oh god. I maybe even they recognized that that would be too much, but it should just have been his tail. They shouldn't have made it expand and make a tire iron shape at the end. That was the thing that was unnecessary and weird. And following that, Scooby does a much more natural um, Scooby kind of transformation in which um, he acts out what the monster looks like and acts like, which I think... I know that you're you're saying much more natural, but Scooby does get on his hind legs and stretch his body to be seven feet tall. <laughs> it's more natural to me than making a tire iron out of your tail, but again, I, you know, maybe that's splitting hairs. Um, but I, I, you know, I kind of want to add it to the trope list, Scooby acting out the monster. I think that happens pretty frequently. Yeah, I, th I think that's fair. And, and I do think it yeah. tends to be pretty funny. Like, it's a good gag. And, uh, yeah, we've seen him, we've certainly seen him more times than we've heard you meddling kids. Or seen them eating Scooby snacks. Oh, man, yeah, that's been seldom. They return to the plane, mm -hmm. and the plane, it's, it's trashed. It actually reminded me, because it was in a clearing... It reminds me of Disney's Tarzan when they come back and after uh, Turk and friends have sung... Shoot, what song is it? Okay, we need to take a second and remember this. Because all the only song that comes to mind is Let's Make Music Together from All Dogs Go to Heaven. <laughs> that was it. No, that was it. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't it an instrumental? Uh, it's a... It, it was mostly oh, instrumental you're right it, it did have a, a thing to it though it wasn't uh, purely uh, just like but, noise music um, i don't know if that was uh, phil collins for that part i uh, know i also don't know if it was rosie o'donnell yeah i, mean, I think it was because it was kind of talk singing but um it's kind of like that scene the wreckage that they come back to except that there are claw marks everywhere <laughs> they're like huge like like rent like rents in the metal claw marks all over the plane this thing's not going to fly again anytime soon and they say it's been ransacked by the natives but the only way we can tell is that there's like some native stuff hung inside the doorway which we can see in a little bit i'd say redecorated by the natives and they just don't like it yeah they know they know that hanging in the doorway is and i quote a native fetish shoot did they say that <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Holy cow, man. And Holy cow. And in this case, fetish does refer to like a charm or uh, you know, like like an item like like a charm and not Cue the that's my fetish meme. I mean, come on. And not what could be like a like a predilection for like feet. Hmm. Fred 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 and the Fred Daphne and Velma opt to continue looking for help. Uh, Scooby and Shaggy do not want to bump into, into the, the Jaguaro again. They've seen it. They they know what it looks like. They know how large and imposing it is. They want to stay with the plane. And the gang, the rest of the gang is once again just like, yeah, all right, that seems reasonable. You know, they're not pushing Scooby and Shaggy to do anything. Yeah. Scooby I, and Shaggy are able to logic their way out of uh, danger, I guess. Which isn't going to, it's not going to protect them. You know, that's the danger follows them no matter what. And this is kind of a scary, bleak episode i mean we don't know it yet but these are straight up headhunters that are that's all they are it's so scary that before we cut to the commercial shaggy bemoans every part of their situation he's like there's headhunters here our planes wrecked like they're scary animals we're gonna die as the paint the as the camera zooms into his face and he and he and scooby make their 
obituary poses, I guess. It's This is an unusually scary premise, I guess, is what I'm getting at. It, it does seem pretty bleak, honestly, because, um, and we didn't mention this, but both Jose and Luis are gone. It's implied that they were taken away and killed because they can see, like, like furrows in the ground as if a body had been dragged. Mm, very true. So whereas before they had the support of these two men, who were familiar with the landscape, knew about the jaguar worshippers, now they are completely alone, and Barney is nowhere to be found either. And that's really why the gang goes out, is to find the pilot, because they certainly can't get out of here. They have no chance of repairing the plane without the pilot. So they go out to find him as Scooby and Shaggy stick around. And we pan from there to the boughs of the trees, the canopy. It... Okay, so the fact of the matter, first of all, first of all, big apes, and by big apes I mean like gorillas, um, they live in Africa. Hmm. We are we are in Brazil, we are in South America. Orangutans are like from Indonesia, which are also like big apes, but these are like gorillas basically. Um, and, and gorillas are known Huge. to create nests for themselves. They will grab large leaves and they will create little beds, and that's where they'll sleep. I do not believe there is record of gorillas weaving grass together to create these mats that they place as floors for these tree houses yeah and i don't know if apes living in uh living in brazil import bamboo to build those uh tree houses with with their woven stuff this is man-made either they really didn't know what how apes live or there are some great conservation efforts being made by these headhunters that they should be commended for and i think that's pretty special and, and, I mean, they're also, it, it, it is a, I guess, a, I don't know for sure if it's a mother, but it's a parent gorilla and its child, and the parent gorilla is forcing upon its child a uh, coconut with a straw in it. Yeah, they also have straw technology. They are ahead of the times, these apes. But the, and the child doesn't want this. And for the child to be picky is yet another example of ape affluence. Can, can you believe, can you believe these... Apity. Oh, man. <laughs> My, my mind was going in that direction. I was just thinking about, I wanted to draw a parallel between um, be- between accusing these gorillas of ingratitude and sort of some of the other things that are going on in the media at the moment. But that's like super dicey. I, it's, I backed away from that. I, I also nudged you up said apity. <laughs> Only because I knew you were going for that. And because I recognize the pun, can we just say, let's make it a generational thing. This baby ape doesn't want this coconut. It wants some avocado toast. <laughs> <laughs> Youth. How will this how will this baby gorilla ever afford a tree house of its own? <laughs> um, there, there's this whole thing where... I'm sorry, real quick. Sure. This, this ape doesn't know how to read ground claw markings. It only understands tree claw markings. <laughs> Gorillas don't have claws. Yeah, okay, I'm gonna that was a bad one. It was an overreach. I shouldn't have interrupted you and pulled us back into that. <laughs> I admit uh, the gorilla falls, Scooby drinks from it, Scooby is pulled up. The, the coconut falls, um, excuse me. Yes, the coconut falls. Uh what what takes place is are you familiar with um WB cartoons at all? Uh, yeah, pretty familiar, I think, with Warner Brothers. Is it, Warner Brothers. Is it, um, is it Bugs Bunny? You know how there's that Yeti? And this is, like, the second, like, Yeti Sasquatch reference that we've made. Um, oh, man. There's that Yeti, and I think it's Bugs, and it, what it does is it, like, hugs Bugs and, like, pets his head, and he says, like, I will call you such and such, and Bugs ends up, like, 
switching places with other animals to like get out of it or maybe with like elmer like elmer fudd or something it sounds like a bug situation because you want to be on that person's side who wants to escape and that's classically bugs it, it is that kind of thing where basically scoob is treated like a doll by this baby gorilla and he's trying his best to get away but he's being treated like very affectionately and he doesn't want any part of it and it's scary um, because an ape would kill a dog i feel like a wild yeah ape. like chimpanzees can bend like steel bar beam bars or whatever not like not beams but yeah and, and a chimps, scared dog will Chimps nip. can't bend steel beams. <laughs> <laughs> uh, visit ScoobyDudes.com for the truth. Yeah, so Scooby's kind of a, kind of a prisoner of these apes. Uh, the baby ape puts him in a hammock and swings him around as if he's trying to shake a fine drink for James Bond. And you know what? This is, honestly, this is just another out of the frying pan into the fire between under a rock and a hard place kind of situation because Shaggy goes to rescue Scooby and the two of them end up being captured by the the tribe's people. It, I like the moment where they try and get out of it, where they like they fall, they both land on the ground after some rope shenanigans, and uh, when the tribe's witch doctor, or shaman, or whatever, whoever wears the biggest mask shows up, Shaggy shines his foot, like a shoe shine, which which is the closest we get to a Scooby Doop in this episode. I'm sorry to say, and they immediately stop. It's literally a one second gag. It, like, it is really funny in that, like, yeah, they fall on him, he cushions their fall, and when they get up, they act as if they're, I don't know, like, like a shoe, a shoe shiner yeah. and a, a shoulder uh, brusher, respectively, I think it is. Yeah, like lower class people who are like, oh, I'm so sorry, sir. Here, let me fix that for you. I wouldn't expect you to have to button that yourself. Um, but then they're immediately captured. And from there, we then pan back. To Fred, Daphne, and Velma. Uh, so I will just describe this very quickly, but they, they find a mm. hut in the middle of the water, like on stilts, um, which I initially thought was to for people to uh, avoid or get away from the jaguaro, who, fees, who presumably cannot go through water because big sense. apes and... Actually, I believe they both swim, so that's... But not, like, super well. But it would be a way more defensible position, yeah. you'd think. Yeah. And inside, they, yeah. they see an old-fashioned sluice, uh, such as what you would find uh, if you're mining gold. Uh, or panning, yes, for, that's what panning for gold. Says. There's also an old-timey, like, uh, miner's pan. Um, mm. uh, then they meet up with Barney on his boat, and who who should be with him but uh, Louis. Yes, Louis, one of the co-pilots. Um, and Louis says that the Jaguaro got Jose, so he's the only one that's left. But Barney can take them all upriver. <laughs> uh, while they're on the boat, um, I think. It's oh, and hang on, real quick. I'm sorry. Uh, this is Barney. Also says, "And I'll radio the authorities." And actually, he'd said that before when we first saw him as well. He's always radioing the authorities. Good old Barney. Um, so uh, they're on. Um, they're on the boat. They're on their way back to the plane. Uh, I think it's Velma who finds a piece of glass in one of the canvas bags. Um, that's all scratched up. Yeah, it's like a nice little squarish shaped piece of glass with rounded ed beveled edges and yeah it's all scuffed up and why why is it all scuffed up and wrapped in cloth velma is asking daphne as the audience asks both of them why are you going through this dude's stuff yeah you're not looking for clues there's no real mystery at this point it's just actual danger these people would be terrible house guests you have them over and they're like rifling through your desk drawers like talking to each other why the heck would they have this here with this like hey Hey, I'm helping you. Yeah, it's it's not a large enough boat that they can rifle through someone's possessions. I, I think Barney's a really great guy. I'm just going to say that for letting him do this. When they get off the boat, Barney also asks Lewis to bring this roll of film to Rio, which 
makes sense because he's you know you don't want to keep the film here if, if you can just bring it over to the city where you're going to develop it anyway yeah so hey take this over to my lab in rio that's what barney says Luis says yeah that's totally cool i'll find the place i i do want to apologize as as they return to the plane and mm. this is the scene in which they they see the the native fetish oh and right. i quote look a native fetish and uh i Luis Luis is hilarious to me because he's so craven like he he tells them like for joe like oh they took joe he's dead and it's like he hasn't seen joe been killed but as far as he's concerned uh or sorry jose is is dead yeah. to him yeah he has like, signed off this and, is like uh the whatchamacallit episode Ooh, cat creature is it the cat creature episode i think that's the one where everyone just assumes that shaggy is dead oh which <laughs> is actually the episode right after this one it's season three episode nine really man yeah there's a bit of a trend here this is foreshadowing that to come. It's it's also yeah. Luis. They're like they have to get scoop and shag. Yeah, but Luis says no. We gotta leave right now. And Lu- Luis, I is he says I can only wait an hour. Like I wait an hour and then that's it. I am gone. That's way more concise than what he says. What he says to me read like the babe wait scene in Hot Rod, <laughs> and then he says, "Wait, it is too dangerous. Come back. I can only wait an hour. If you're not back." I must take off without you. <laughs> Literally, that, verbatim. My timing it, is a little snappier because I know we all have places to be, but they did honestly, not. Honestly, your accent is so much better than the accents that they did on the show. I'm, honestly, I'm trying to do the best version of, like, as little of as I can because it's terrible. Ugh, I don't want to. Um, we cut from there to Scooby and Shaggy, who are in a hut internally rounded with skulls, decorated with skulls. It, if you did not believe uh, earlier that these natives were headhunters, maybe you thought like, oh, what, you know, like these are really horrible ways to think about like uh, native populaces. Yeah. Um, that suggestion is going to be rebuked and they're going to show something else. It is a literal, as you said, ring of like human skulls. Yeah. Uh, lovingly rendered. And Shaggy says, whatever it is they're going to do to us, I have a feeling we're not going to like it too much. Like, just turning up the volume on some background noise a little bit, they just give it a little laughter. Just a, <laughs> like, an, a full audience laughing, but they just turn it up a tiny bit for, like, three seconds. Because <sighs> they know it's not funny, the fact that they've just said, Scooby and Shaggy are going to die. The gang is, um, the gang makes their way Ooh. into a cave, which I guess is how they're going to find Scooby and Shaggy, and they see the jaguaro. Frozen in place. And here's the thing. You know in animation that something is going to move if it is, and as I said earlier, and I guess it was a little bit inaccurate because the skulls are nice, but they're not like lovingly rendered, lovingly rendered. Lovingly rendered is like you can see the clear outlines. Well, I think there's a difference between background and live animation. You can tell when something's going to move because it's bright and it's plainly colored. Whereas in this episode, they've got a lot of very rich backgrounds. Like I thought about that as I was watching it. Man, they, they really put some effort into these. But it's not distinct and clearly lined and kind of crisp like something that's take that's action. It, I mean, that's all to say that when they see the statue of the jaguaro, I thought it was going to be like like in the next episode, make a beeline away from that feline in yes. which Scooby and Shaggy think the cat creature is a statue and it's not because it looks like it's going to be animated to move. Yeah, it's you have such a strong sense of anticipation. The big surprise for me is that it doesn't. That it is genuinely a statue that they come upon. It, it's almost like they, it's almost like, and, and I, I feel like I'm giving them too much credit, but they're <laughs> like, 
they know like this is a this is a cue or this is a giveaway that it's gonna I, move i think it's easier for them to do it that way that's like one frame of an animation thing instead of doing anything moving they already just probably grabbed that frame from somewhere else i mean maybe they, this is the third season of scooby-doo where are you they've got some time behind them uh Whatever the case, we know that's not the Jaguaro because we hear the Jaguaro scream from somewhere else. So this is, the next weird body thing that Scoob does is as they're sitting tied back to back in the tent with the skulls, mm. he turns his tail into a saw and saws through the rope. Yeah, like his, it's not a big change with his tail. It's just like his bristles stick out a little bit more. But apparently they're like a serrated blade or something because he does cut through the ropes at them. Yeah, like like a bandsaw or a jigsaw or something. It makes so much more sense to have him use a claw, like a nail, like he does in a, a pup named. It actually would, even though that's more cat-like. But it'd be better. Well, here's the thing, and and I I guess I could have said this earlier, but I didn't. Um, all of these claw marks could not possibly have come from the jaguaro, who has the hands of an ape, which do not have claws. <laughs> That's why I said the apes were clawing at stuff. The claw mark. Because everyone knows Brazilian apes have claws. Everyone knows it. That's so right. I didn't think of that at all, but that's a great catch, dude. Uh, this, this, also, this isn't a Scooby-Doop, but to sort of blend in and to potentially escape, Scooby and Shaggy do don native garb, which is to say, like, grass skirts and masks. This foreshadows the Scooby-Doo movie. A little bit does it not i would say so yeah yeah i think that that i could even say they drew from this for that even though they could have parallel thinking could have easily brought them there but i i do love this that them dressing up as the natives and and doing the uh the dance out it, it's i guess not, i just like them doing it's not up. egregiously racist it, it's egregiously racist as far as like the natives are portrayed poorly so them mimicking the natives but they're yeah. not going like over the top it's not like mystery mask mix up no, it's not that bad. I shouldn't say I love this, but I guess I just love that kind of thing. Like in The Wizard of Oz, where they dress up as the uh, the guards. It is funny. I, like, I think Scooby, it's funny. Scooby and Shaggy do that. That's great. And here, it's a pity what they're, they're dressed up as. But whatever the case, they are found out. I, I'm just realizing that this is such a heavy theme in this episode. There ha- is there a third? Oh, yeah? Is there a third way of saying it? Because there's out of the frying pan into the fire. There's between a rock and a hard place. But is there a third sort of figure of speech for that? I think those are those are slightly different, but like, do you mean when it? Do you mean just in a tough spot, or going from a tough spot to a tougher? Either spot? Or just one. Like, is is there a good? I think no. You're right. It is both of them are between two tough spot things. One's a progression. The other one is a limbo. Yeah. One one just yeah. one indicates more action. Yeah. But it happens again, and it's just it's incredible, and I don't know why I didn't realize this earlier. But th- there's this wooden bridge. Sorry, really quick. When it rains, it pours yeah no that's Something. perfect that's perfect okay I'll, i will mention that um okay. i don't want to throw shade at these natives um and, but but the bridge that spans th- this portion of the amazon river has a a tower of sorts in the center as a support yeah like a tr- not a truss i think yeah maybe I mean, the word for I'll it, it just like a big beam of support kind of tower yeah. thing and it's a suspension bridge, more or less, in between. Because most suspension bridges, if you watch, like, Indiana Jones or you watch any other sort of movie, like Shrek, um, it's just a bridge that goes across and there's no supports of any kind. It just hangs there, as you said, a suspension bridge. Yeah, actually, in fact, you know what? It's not a suspension bridge because it doesn't have wires suspending anything. It just has a tower in the middle, doesn't it? 
Yeah. Or no, I think it is a... Ah, you know what? I gotta look it up. You and I'm I don't sorry, know dude. anything about bridges. I think... I did a report on suspension bridges once. I serious? almost know something. I once knew something on them. <laughs> I, I don't now. While you look that up, I'm just gonna... I'm just gonna go full yeah, steam ahead and say that... Um, Scooby and Shaggy are running away from the natives. They, they're going across to the other side, and then on the other side is the jaguaro. They turn back, and there are the natives. And it's just... It's... It is like this whole sort of when it rains it pours situation. It, things are already bad, but, but they continue to get worse. Um, and the jaguaro breaks his end of the bridge, and they have to run back. And then the natives break their side of the bridge. The, look, this is where it turned for me because when up to this point I thought the natives like thought they were causing the jaguaro or something, but they see the jaguaro going after this person, and then they're helping the jaguaro kill these people. Maybe it's because they worship the yeah, Jaguar. Well, I don't know. Also, it is a suspension bridge. Oh, I was mistaken. Sweet. The thing that got me about it is that the natives are breaking their own bridge. Yeah. I mean, I think the reading of it, the generous reading of it is that the natives believe these guys have angered the Chikawaro and brought it to life somehow. So they're trying to help the Jaguar catch them so the Jaguar will go away or go back to being a statue. So Scooby and Shaggy are in the middle. They're on this sort of tower type structure they're climbing to the top the jaguaro is waiting because again it's enormous it's so big it's not like up to its belly is it it's i think it's like only up to its belly or something in this water that they built a suspension bridge over like you can do a stone bridge over this or something like that it's uh, it's pretty scary it's waiting through the water to get them yeah and it's a, a pretty great uh, action sequence just to go in slow-mo a little bit more when they split the two ropes apart so all the planks fall out from underneath, Shaggy and Scooby are jumping between the different sides of the ropes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's this moment in which they they do abide by the laws of physics. A little um, bit. But it makes it uh, this really cool, like, believ believable, more believable action. Yeah, sequence. I mean, they also run on air, Wiley Coyote style, for a minute. And when they're running back away from the natives, it's physics-ish, E, physics-y, um, where the planks have already departed but they're running on them in midair like stepping on falling planks with the sound of a xylophone playing in the background i liked it i dug it it's kind of like an old kung fu movie oh yeah you know definitely. where there's like a leaf or something falling from a tree and they like step from leaf to leaf crouching tiger hidden dragon owes these guys money that's what i'm getting at that one that did come after this so sure <laughs> you've got that uh the thing about mm. what okay i'm sorry really quick to your point on how deep the water goes on that jaguaro the belly was way too generous ankle deep okay so literally good. ankle when, when deep. when i said wade i was i was actually right on the money barely crimped his jeans to do this <laughs> yes in this sequence the jaguaro was wearing uh boot cut jeans did we not say he's wearing wranglers he is which is what allowed him to very easily they're not skinny jeans which are hard to roll up there there's a lot of leg room down there yeah did you notice how like free and comfortable he was he both looked like really casual but a little formal everywhere he went i like how at times it seems like we're trying to get disney to sponsor this podcast and in this one it's like levi's we gotta diversify man we gotta diversify our ad requests i guess um the the what what ultimately saves them because Scooby and Shaggy are in a tight spot. They're about to get killed by the Jaguaro. So this I will come out and say I did not like because there's no foreshadowing to this at all. Um, Velma, Daphne, and Fred are basically like I've got an or I think it might be Velma, Velma who says it. I've got an idea. Let's head up upstream to the dam. First of all, it's not a stream. 
It is like a river. A raging river. And second of all, there have been no references to a dam at, up to this point. We did see still water. And so we could have perhaps figured out that there's it's a tributary of the Amazon that was then cut off. It was dammed or something like that. Who knows? Fred, Daphne, and Belma were looking on, and now they've pulled out of nowhere this deus ex machina of let's break the dam, flood this, and save Scooby and Shaggy. Which is what they do. They're, they're huge rocks. They use a stick as a, le- as a lever. They're like pushing rocks out of the way the waters uh rush down and like like the red sea crashing down on the armies of pharaoh it washes the jaguar away unfortunately like any israelites who may have not made it out of the red sea scooby and shaggy are likewise washed away ah i was gonna say the uh the blood of our savior washed away the sins of the jaguaro until he became baby moses floating down the river to the queen who picked him up like a thief a thief in the night <laughs> there it is rule of threes <laughs> rule of threes yeah i knew i had to do something else uh can i think of a third dumb thing to say never fear listeners so here's the thing they are heading towards a waterfall and it's really funny because scooby and shaggy are like freaking out um that they're headed towards the waterfall and the gang is as well no one is worried about the fact that the jaguaro is being thrown over the waterfall no they this is a good thing this is solving the problem as far as they're concerned it's kind of and like the jaguaro does look in distress to be in distress no one feels bad about the bear at the end of a fo- the fox and the hound <laughs> yeah no one feels bad for gaston at the end of beauty and the beast yeah, they can fall, and it's it's fine. Um, the bear was a better parallel. I'll, I'll definitely give you that. So, and and the, it, it is what you would expect from, like, an action movie or something. I don't know. Like, like it ends up with Scooby and Shaggy pinning the jaguaro against a rock at the bottom with what's left of the bridge. And then basically, the jaguaro falls to the bottom of the river, and the ape outfit is gone. It's, Which is not what you would think would come loose in that kind of fall. You'd think the head would come off. But, no, it's the, uh, the ape body is gone, so it's just a, uh, a panther ahead in a kind of a sharp trench coat. And you can see, like, the khaki-adorned body under, below, the, below the neck. Yeah, you can see the marmite in the pocket. You can see the, uh, the boomerang in the uh, other pocket. You can see the didgeridoo being held in both hands. Yeah, you can see the Dreamtime tattoo on the ankle. <laughs> That's right, it's Luis. <laughs> he's a big, uh, he's a big old uh, uh, Australophile, as uh, as we say. Striophile. Stria. Stria. Striophile. Fall. I can't do it. Um, That's really racist, actually, Evan. The way you did it. The way I did it was good racist. Okay, here's up up to this point. Mm. I don't like the episode a whole lot. Um, just because there's not a lot of the Jaguaro, and I feel like Scooby-Doo episodes should focus more on the monster. And again, the way that they sort of captured the Jaguaro, I felt was very, like you said, deus ex machina-y. Um, and then they catch him. And at this point, I'm not on board. And I, I get on board almost immediately after this. Really? Okay, so they unmask yeah. him. It's Barney, as we've kind of implied. What is it that you loved about what preceded? And along with that, what preceded? Well, here's the thing. It turns out that, that uh, Luis was working with Barney. L- Luis has not actually been captured. Um, he's actually in cahoots 
It was Jose who was captured. We've seen Luis and Barney together up to this point. We haven't seen Jose. He's been gone okay, since the kidnapping. This is a really... I want to feel bad, but they did so little to differentiate the two of these men. They did nothing at all to differentiate them. This isn't a racist thing for us to not distinguish them because they, there's been nothing separate about them until we learned that Luis was a criminal. She, he was with Barney, one of the bad guys. Jose was a victim. They, they weren't panning for gold. They were panning for diamonds. Yeah, yeah so why the sluice? Do they use a sluice for diamonds as well? I guess you can. I, I don't, are, here's the thing, are diamonds that much heavier, because the thing about gold is you can pan for it because it's heavier than the silt and all of the other stuff, but are diamonds the same way? I don't, I don't think, and, and Fred speaks with such authority when he's like, no, this is definitely a sluice, it's a gold sluice, and diamonds, kind of as they, we gather from the glass, the way you test a diamond is by scratching it, or that was an old-timey way of testing a diamond I, I read as a follow-up, but I think you mine diamonds. I just, I don't know how the sluice works. Typically you mine diamonds, yes. Um, we get back to the plane. We find out Luis and Barney are partners in a diamond smuggling scheme. Luis faked the plane emergency to get them down here so that they could apparently make this handoff or, or do something with the uh, operation. And, and, and let me get this straight. Jose is not in on it at all. Jose isn't even remotely in on it. No, Jose is innocent. Um, and we know this because we, we, get, we catch up with Jose back at the plane. What I re okay, so I, th I, I don't like... Here's the thing. When I first saw this, I initially thought that they were all three in on mm. it. And I was like, that's incredible. I still do think it's really good because um, Luis uh, starts to go into the plane, so starts to start it, and says, like, what are you guys going to do? You have no proof that I've done anything wrong. I'm just going to leave you stranded in the jungle. Ooh, th that does happen, but leading up to that point, first of all, I think I also like that uh, one of the pilots was the villain. I think the thing that would have made it work for the other pilot not being the villain is if we had one line of, we flew together for 20 years, how could you do this to me? And it would be even better if the follow-up was that, like... Yeah, you're, you're, you're Johnny's yeah. godfather. Um, Jose accuses Luis as Luis in the background. Like, they're they're basically... Putting the mystery back together as they have Barney all tied up, but Luis is just standing there as they're like, "Oh yeah, Barney did this and he did this with Luis, and they used the glass to test this." And Luis is just like mm -hmm. yeah. walking slowly into the plane with a suitcase, he, very, very casually, like going up the stairs. Just yeah, and then as he's almost in the plane with the door shut behind him, Velma says, uh, or Jose says that Luis knocked him out, and when Jose spotted the operation, then Luis stops, like turns around, and denies everything. Mid getaway, mid fleeing the scene, he stops to proclaim his innocence. Yeah, you're, um, you're right, and and that is also and and like he's proclaiming his innocence, but then he sort of also says like, also you have no proof of my wrongdoing. Yeah, you have you got no proof, and it's like, dude, your co-pilot of how long just accused you of assaulting him? That's proof of something. I really like it though because like he he looks like he. Or he ostensibly is about to make his escape, and he he will strand the gang here in the Amazon jungle. And it's, what are they going to do about it? It's a very scary scene as he's creeping in the plane. I'm like, holy crap, this actually feels kind of intense. But Velma stops him because after he draws attention to himself, Velma's like, yeah, we have proof. Here, she grabs the film reel out of his suitcase, and it's filled with uncut diamonds. Raw, uncut, 100% pure. <laughs> diamonds. Diamonds. A girl's best friend. Uh, and then 
somehow Luis does like just slam the door. We don't even see it, but he's in the plane trying to escape. Like he's like, you can't, he'll never catch me. And and it's at this point that you realize he actually could get away because once look once the doors on the plane are shut, what are they gonna do? Make like Tom Cruise in a. I think it was Ghost Protocol, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. I don't he, know. he does all his own stunts. That was why mm. that was really impressive, was he literally hung off a plane. But it turns out that Fred took the precaution of taking the spark plugs out of the plane, which I loved. I thought that was so cool. It was funny, because Fred also like holds up these two handfuls of spark plugs in his hands, and I wanted so badly, so badly to believe that those were like the flight attendant call lights <laughs> or the reading lights that he just plucked out of the aisle. Don't worry, I got the spark plugs as the plane Fred takes off. Fred was walking off. up and down the cockpit of the plane, just like unscrewing tiny light bulbs. Like, I got the spark plugs, guys. That was the, the part that didn't happen that I just made up was my favorite part of the episode. But it did work. Fred, for whatever reason, knows how to identify the spark plug in an airplane. How to get there. Um, and, and it is this weird parallel to last week's episode with the missing engine in the van, uh, in the mystery machine. That's true. Um, Shaggy, and I have not uh, talked a lot about Shaggy's lines or anything like that, but Shaggy's is like, um, uh, like... I have the verbatim quote too. Good thinking, Fred, old pal, old buddy, old buddy, old pal. <laughs> he says just, exactly that. Shaggy. Old pal, old buddy, old buddy, old pal. Are you having a stroke? <laughs> old pal, old buddy, old buddy, old pally, old buddy, old buddy, old buddy, old buddy, old buddy, old buddy, old Having a strong, can't feel toe. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. For a second, I thought that Shaggy would never stop. I wanted to get the direct quote, and it took me like 10 listens to get it. <laughs> yeah, me as well. I kept, I kept playing it, typing, pausing, playing it again, typing. And it's like a, uh, what's the kind of word that's the same backwards and forwards? A palindrome. It's like a palindrome. It's like pal, buddy, buddy, pal. But I kept thinking like, no, there's no way it's that. It must be pal, buddy, pal, buddy. Buddy, pal, buddy, pal? Buddy, pal, buddy. Nope, it's pal, buddy, buddy, pal. <laughs> and by the end of it, it's like when you spell cat so many times, you don't know how it's spelled. So they solved the mystery. There, there now needs to be a, a, a denouement, right? There needs to be like a, a falling We need a, a gag afterwards. We need uh, a wrap-up And we do gag. see that they are in Rio de Janeiro. Uh, Rio because you can see the... Uh, the statue, the something, the Cristo. It's the big Jesus statue. The Count of Monte Cristo statue is what we see in the background. We know we're in Rio de Janeiro. And uh, and we're here for Carnival. Carnival. And I, I, I'll be up front. I don't know a ton about Carnival. I know nothing. Yeah. I, I know that costumes are a part of it. I don't think costumes are a part of it to the extent that costumes are a part of Halloween, which is how the gang has approached this. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's either that they're treating it like Halloween or that they think this is how locals dress. Neither would be accurate. Uh, I thought that this would have been a really good, in retrospect, I'm realizing right, it right now, this would have been a really good moment or episode in which to have the gang decked out in different clothes than, than they normally do. Mm-hmm. And understandably, they did not know that they were going to crash land in the Amazon. But I still think, like, maybe, like, Fred could have been wearing shorts or something, you know? There's no reason for them not to do this, especially if they're doing it at the end, except that it's tougher to animate. Why not say they were all dressed up on the way, dressed up before they got on the plane, and then they crash in their costumes? I do, I do think Daphne's costume and Fred's costume, Daphne's costume isn't great, but the other ones are interesting to me. 
I, I meant more just that since they're going to be in like a tropical country, like maybe they would be wearing different different clothes, not necessarily their costume, but, but just like more appro- weather appropriate clothing. I like the idea um, of Fred in shorts. I like the idea of Fred in short shorts, like you said. I think just to cap off this episode, we can, well, because it doesn't really play into the gag, but I think it's interesting. We can describe what they're wearing. Yeah, that's exactly what I have in front of me right now. Da- Daphne is essentially wearing a, like a princess dress. Yeah, like what you would give your five-year-old daughter to wear for Halloween. Uh, what's Daphne? Or sorry, what's Fred wearing? Fred's wearing a. Uh, it's kind of like a like really high-waisted flared like a matador. Matador. That's the term I'm looking for. Yeah, I think you're right because it's a black vest. It's a black hat and shoes, flared trouser legs, and like a very high tight waist. Which once again, matadors are like a Mexican thing. Yeah. Or, it sorry. Doesn't... No, sorry, it's Spanish. It's a Spanish... Matadors are a Spanish thing. Yeah, which has gone other places since. Right? Uh, it's yeah. A, it's Velma and Shaggy who I kind of like how they're dressed up. It's more interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll cover Velma and then you, you uh, handle Shaggy. Velma is has, a, has an orange dress, much like her orange sweater. She's wearing a small red cape. It's not like a large flowing red cape. It's a little small, tiny red cape. And she's wearing a bowler hat. And here's the kicker for me... Nope, no pun intended, and I think it's super gross. Velma's not wearing shoes. That's right. She's just walking around on the street, not wearing shoes. It's pretty disgusting. She's asking for a glaskin. I do kind of like her outfit. I don't know, are bowler hats a thing there? Or derby hats or whatever that is? Honestly, I don't think that the people who wrote and animated this episode knew a thing about Brazil. Shaggy is wearing what looks like a, a long sleeve version of his normal shirt also goes down long below his waist perhaps and he's got like a red bandana tied around his head in a grandmotherly fashion i'd say and just the the way he's dancing he's very like in his zone he's dancing like nobody's watching like he's very self-contented here's a man who loves himself i wrote that shaggy is dressed like like a like a roma like a rome a roma person also hearkening back to a very recent episode scooby at the very tail end of the line is wearing a pink onesie like it's like a yeah. a baby romper a baby romper right? and bonnet and it reminded me of scrappy's bunny outfit not just two or three episodes ago it's adorable yeah. yeah the the thing about scooby is that that's when it really goes out the window because up to that point you're thinking like oh they're wearing like normal ish clothes and maybe this is just what brazilian people wear but scooby wearing dressed like a human baby is just like what oh you think that this is just like dressing up that's you know you're right that breaks it that robs us of any chance to say that they're trying to be culturally appropriate that that's even an objective even if they're not trying um and and who brings up the true tale of the line it's it's the it's the gorilla baby and its parent yes gorilla baby and parent and the baby is holding scooby's tail and that's the end of the episode um there are a lot of this is a very unorthodox episode especially for scooby-doo where are you and as a result there's i feel like there's so few tropes uh present yeah i like i said i added that new one on the list uh scooby imitating the monster ones that we don't have that we'd often like to see would be the scooby dupe i mean that doesn't really there's no attempt to dupe him with that they abandon it too readily i'm really glad i honestly would have closed this episode without uh without bringing that up luke what is the scooby dupe wait the what the the scooby dupe I don't even know. I've never heard those words in my life. But if I had to guess, I mean, it sounds like the kind of thing where two best friends would pull a prank on a villain that's chasing them. 
uh, basically pretending they're in a new social scenario, almost like starting an improv scene, and uh, they then pressure the monster into buying into that. I, I don't know if I'm describing it well. What would a Scooby-Doop look like here, if that's what a Scooby-Doop was? And I think to be... Well, here's the thing. I think it would be nearly impossible with the Jaguaro because it's so big and animalistic. Mm. But it's definitely something they could have done with with the natives. I wanted to come up with some kind of play on the hybrid nature of him. Sorry, I have I have two Scooby Doops that I just came up with. Okay, lay them I on. I think me. I think it would be fun for um, for the Jaguaro is that Scooby mm-hmm. and Shaggy put on in the middle of the Amazon jungle, in the middle of I almost nowhere. Um, they put on like a like a Mori Povich style TV show. <sighs> Uh, trying to determine who the Jaguaro's real father is. A Jerry Springer show. As you were talking about, as you were saying that, I was like, oh, what if they, one of them dressed up as a jaguar or panther and the other dressed up as an ape and they pretended to be having sex in the jungle. <laughs> and it was like, this must be my parents. <laughs> Yours is much better. I love that idea of a Jerry Springer or Maury Povich type of show. And, and they... they... I, they magic a chair or maybe they make it out of leaves or something but the jaguar was like sitting comically on this human-sized chair and just like eagerly anticipating finding out who his dad is and it's like we know your mother is this ape but we don't know if your dad is a jaguar a panther or a saber-toothed tiger yeah mm-hmm. that's the perfect way to do it that's genius sold uh and for the natives what i wanted to do was them already being in the hut and what they are is interior designers. So so the shaman or the witch doctor or whatever comes in and they start to rearrange everything in there and they're just like, well, you know, like these skulls, they're good, they're really menacing, but how about this? And they sort of, they, it's obviously very morbid because these are human skulls. These are skulls of like formerly living people. But we've already gone there. If that's introduced, we need to at least play with that and make it lighter. So like, oh, I really feel like it would help the feng shui of the room if you stack these skulls over here and let some good energy flow through down here to where your pelvis bones are. Yeah, exactly. And they just, they keep going into it. And eventually the chief is all like, 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 I don't, I don't want the, these spears and that over there. Like, I like the spears where they normally are. And she, he, like, takes the spears from them and, like, does it himself and is, like, straightening them or something. Yeah, and they're like, no, like, this will really open up the room, you know? This will make it more... It'll make it seem bigger. Uh, that is what I think it should be for... Yeah, or, like, show, show us what you want. And then, as he's doing that, they make the getaway. Yeah, I think that's good. That's perfect. So, so again, for our listeners, we say this every week. We will never go a week without saying it. That's the Scooby-Doop. And... It is quintessential Scooby-Doo for me. Same here. I think that's the height of Scooby-Doo. It's the Scooby-Dooiest thing that they can do because it's the most consistent trope that's explored. Er- and it's uh, something that really is prototypical of their relationship, a word I need to back off using so much, but it is. Every time I watch Scooby-Doo, even if it's good, like for Mystery, for Scooby-Doo Mystery Inc., even though that's a really great show, the fact that they don't often do Scoop or they haven't in the episodes that we've seen, do Scooby-Doops, really disappoints me yeah that's true it's a big gap in me it's a big absence and you know what even in a show like that where the scooby shaggy relationship is explored in such a unique way it would help it would only help uh human like bring make them more relatable to us and so it's sad we don't get that trope here really scooby imitating the monster is the only thing i can think of that we actually have aside from 
I mean, we don't have a musical chase scene. There's no corridors. There's no secret passages. There's no eyes in the painting. There's no food. There's no Scooby snacks. There's no Velma losing her glasses. There is something that we might want to add. Daphne clinging to Freddy when something scary is mentioned. Oh, interesting. Which I don't know if it's happened elsewhere and I just haven't paid attention, but it happens here. What I will mention as well, or I, I will note this absence, is that they don't split up and look for clues. They split up for an, an entirely different reason. That's true. And, and part of the, like, really, so many of the tropes are absent, I believe, because they don't approach this as a mystery. You're right. Man, how did I not think of that? We're all about the mystery, and there was no mystery here. There was a dilemma, not a, even a dilemma. There was a, a, a tough situation. They were in a spot. I think so much of it is just Scooby and Shaggy trying to stay alive. That's a big part of it. And when it's them versus nature, it's funny. When it's them versus headhunters, it's scary at best and offensive, I, realistically. I a little bit, I think it was a little bit, obviously not a lot for the, for like the jungle creatures, but I think it was definitely like kind of scary across the board because it's, it's unrelenting danger. I think it was too, but I'm, I think kids wouldn't necessarily think that. I chose this episode because I think the jaguaro as a creature is hilarious. I mean, do you think our listeners really have a mental picture of it? Do you think they really know what it looks like? Uh, I mean, I, I hope so. I don't think they do. I think they might have an idea. I think some stuff they might be able to picture, but I think they're ignorant. You're ignorant, listeners. Be less ignorant. Find out what the sclera color of the jaguaro's eyes is <laughs> by going to the Scooby Wikia. And I can tell you, the eye color is red. That's a yellow sclera. Mm. Why are you hawking... Why are you providing the Scooby-Doo Wiki with a free promo like they're paying us they've given us nothing it's it's true they I think they probably would scorn us if they had the chance but I love that they mentioned the sclera color and I will say I check it every time now <laughs> <laughs> just because you want you want to make sure I want to make sure because it's so I want to catch in a moment where they don't mention the sclera color or something like that it's hilarious to me Oh, it's amazing. I just, I want to see, like, I want to see, like, a robot. Um, and then they're just, like, yellow eyes, no sclera. I think... Or do, or do robots still have sclera? You know what? As maybe one final thing, which one was it where we had the robot? Um, uh, do you mean the, the fall dog? I don't believe... We've never done an episode with the robot as the primary antagonist. You're right. We'll have to wait on that before we'll be able to get that preview. So, for the moment... Um... If you got to know the sclera color, just listen to our podcast. Because as I said, I'll tell you every time, guys. So now and now you're actively warning our listeners away from the Scooby-Doo Wikia. F that Wikia! Come to Scooby-Dudes. If you, yeah, <laughs> listeners, if you ever find the need to, uh, to discover the sclera color of a Scooby-Doo monster, don't go to the Scooby-Doo Wikia. Um, find out the... <laughs> go to our website, control F search for the name of the episode, click on it, and then listen to the entire one and a half hours because we, we're not, we're not time-stamping right. this for you. All right. So I get it's a little impractical. Listeners, I'll make it simple for you. If you want to know the, eye, the sclera color of any Scooby-Doo monster or anything or anyone at all, just rate us five stars on iTunes, and in your review, ask the sclera color that you would like to know. We will tell you. So this is this is like Ask Jeeves, but way more complicated. Yeah, I guess. Ask Jeeves, Louise. I'm a little disappointed that Ask Jeeves 
um, never made it. Because I think the idea of having a search engine that is ostensibly like a person uh, is, is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And just going to Jeeves and just being like, what is such and such? You're not like typing in like the answer that you think it's going to be. You're actually like asking a question. And I think there's something very appealing about that. I think we live in a very different internet if Ask Jeeves had been the Google of its day. Because then there would still be other search sites, but they would have their own avatar. And you would have an easier time Googling things because if you were talking to somebody with your dialect or someone from your background, you might it, it would have an algorithm for you. Whereas now we all use Google, which has to be a one fix for everybody. But if I'm a posh upper gentleman, I can't use the same algorithm as a plebeian. And people with particular dialects can benefit from having being able, I need to ask a redneck what this rash is on my neck. <laughs> I love the idea that people type with the accents that they, in the accent that they speak in your world. Hey y'all, where's the reset button for a Samsung Galaxy S6? They're they're writing phonetically, yeah. Phonetic, yeah. So oh, they're, yeah, they're writing transcri- everything phonetically. You know, that is something that people who aren't don't write a lot do is write the way they speak. And we and good writing does not sound like speaking. It 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 doesn't. You're exactly right. It's completely think, different. It's uh, almost a different language. I think a word that kind of it doesn't like it doesn't fully prove you wrong, but. What really irks me is when people write definitely with an A. I don't, I don't see how that would prove me wrong. <laughs> if, yeah. It, well, no, because if you read that out loud, it would be definitely. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So I, I think in some cases, like when people write, um, shoot, it's, it's a really good example. I see it all the time. Of. Is it of? Oh, yeah. I know what you mean. I should have done this. And people say, should OF done this. And what they mean is should apostrophe V-E done this. I should have. I, def- I definitely should or even, I definitely should have should have. I definitely should have done that. And they'll write, I definitely should have done that. Yes, I am should have done that. Bow before me. <laughs> done that is a great kingdom. Yeah, I, I read that all the time. It's terrible. The more common ones that I read since I'm a recruiter, I'm a headhunter myself, are costumer service. You wouldn't believe how many people are in the costume biz in the call center industry. And, uh, oh man, there's... Wait, what are you talking about? Costume service? Costumer service. Like, I've got great costumer service <laughs> skills. <laughs> That's incredible. So cool. Oh my gosh. Costumer service. Oh my word. Dearest listeners, Due to the magic of podcast recording, even though you've just listened to an hour plus of the podcast, it may surprise you to find out that I'm still hungover. Wow, still young over, if you will. And Okay, uh, enough. It, it may surprise you listeners to learn that I, Luke, am still a responsible drinker who makes sure that I'm well recovered before recording time. I Evan, on the other hand, is slamming Irish coffee even as we speak. <laughs> I, okay... I only got an Irish coffee to take the edge off of my mimosa. And by Irish coffee, you're just drinking coffee out of a green mug. To my credit, I also sprinkled some four-leaf clovers in there. Just uh, for the fiber. Uh, that was the episode. That was the episode. This is the outro portion. Um, mm. One thing that we like to talk about during our outro portion is uh, Patreon. 
which, as you've said, is a service that allows small-time artists to achieve their big-time dreams with your help, dear listeners. It's been a really long time since Luke has coined that uh, that phrase, that slogan. We have not received a dime from Patreon. I mean, look, we've received several dimes, but not from the company proper. Yeah, I guess it's worked for us in that it's drawn in patrons for us, but we want Patreon to buy that slogan from us. That, that's it's, what we're saying. It's a phenomenal slogan. Thank you, man. So uh, what we like to do is we like to see if anyone new has donated to us and as a matter of fact we do have a new donor oh do we really man i didn't know that this isn't even me i don't think i don't remember do- donating additionally it's this week. not you okay, that's nice i really want you to remove yourself <laughs> as a as a donor and i want you to remove yourself twice as two of our ask, donors are you which of me do you want to remove all of them do you really think we can keep this podcast going without either of those dollars <laughs> we've talked about this before this is the most inefficient way of money laundering. You, you're losing 10%. I'm, I'm taking money out of my pocket, filtering it through Patreon at the loss of at least a dime, and then putting it back into my pocket before giving it to our artists, which is really where a big part of the Patreon donations go. Uh, and, and yeah, uh, if you subscribe to Patreon, you do get additional content, um, and you get the benefit of knowing that you're helping us keep, keep things afloat. I mean, really, we pay for this whole thing out of pocket. Um, the majority... Of, our, of the donations, as Luke said, does go to our artists, who we believe deserve every cent. Uh, and I guess before we get to our patrons, let's just talk about how incredible Sarah's title card is. Oh my gosh, our current artist, Sarah, is just astounding. This is art that I would want on my wall. I do want it on my wall. It's incredible. I, you're, you're robbing yourselves, listeners, if you don't visit ScoobyDudes.com and check this stuff out. That is so. That is Sarah Duval. If you go to their Twitter, they're uh, they are on Twitter at little underscore Corvus C O R V U S, and you just check out their stuff. It's it's so it's perfect. Good. It's and and we are over the moon that they made the decision. They made the decision to partner with us. The line work is incredible. The, the 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 color sensibilities is just astonishing. Even the the the, the light use of text. Is perfect. There's clearly a base of good graphic design knowledge here. Uh, and now uh, back to our patrons. Really, Sarah's the best. Um, so our newest donor, uh, the name uh, I, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce this. Um, is it is it R- Rennie? Is that Rennie Rennie Robarts? R- is it not Rene Rofarts? No, is that a different person? <laughs> Thank you, Renee wait, wait, Rofarts. Wait, Luke, I've been notified. I just got an email uh, that we've lost a donor. <laughs> no. Now we are Renee Nofarts. Uh, Renee, Renee is, a, is a friend of mine and a friend of Luke's. Now a friend of the uh, show. Now a friend of the show. Uh, and we are thrilled that she decided to, uh, to throw a portion of money towards our artistic venture. I couldn't be more... Renee, I haven't talked to you in so long. I'm thrilled that you're enjoying the podcast, or at least that you want the podcast to keep going, which I, I take to mean from your donation. And uh, I, I'm, I'm just so grateful and glad that we get to reconnect with you this way. Because she'd followed us on Twitter before. She did, and she she wanted us to turn our podcast into a Silicon Valley podcast, uh, to which I said we are not going to no. do that. And maybe she's hoping to influence, influence us from the within now. Are we, are we beholden to the desires of our wealthy mega-donor class? 
Are we the GOP, Evan? I'm just going to say that Renee would need to donate a lot more for her to sway, <laughs> for her to sway the way this podcast uh, is run. I was about to take her to task for waiting so long to donate, but apparently we're already blasting her for her level of Renee, donation. Renee, so. you join a distinguished group. The classiest class. We have said your name, and your name will join these other names that we are about to say, because every single week we shout out our donors, because they deserve it. Yeah, because we love them and we appreciate them. We love and appreciate you, Renee. And like Evan said, you're joining the following beloved names who we will say every single week. So donate to it. Visit us on Patreon.com. Get uh, wonderful additional content to this podcast. Join these beloved donors we're mentioning right now. Aside from Patreon, where can people follow up with us? Uh, So they can find us, and I'm going to speed through this because I have a little bit of a a surprise for you. Oh, uh, you can find us on, they can find us on Facebook at just facebook.com slash Scooby Dudes. Like us. Twitter, that's Twitter. We are the Scooby Dudes. Follow us. Uh, you can send us an email at um, scoobydudespodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up. Which is actually, now we're, uh, we'll take a brief segue because we did receive an email. Oh, did we know? Who's the email from? I mean, not our regular weekly email from Michael. No, th- uh, this person sent us an email through... Uh, if you go to our website, scoobydudes.com, which I was going to say, but like, yeah, if you go to scoobydudes.com, you can see art, like the incredible art Sarah has done. Um, you can see like screenshots that we've captioned, which I think are always extremely funny. And you can see a lot of show notes, which I think are very valuable and informative. There's also a, a page on the website where you can just like, you don't need to open up Outlook or Gmail, you can just send us an email from the website, and someone has done that. Man, that's a first. Our very first website email. Uh, first of all, do we know who this is from? I don't know who they are personally, no. Ooh, mystery emailer. Even cooler. Um, and so what do they say? What are the clues we can uh, we can glean from their message? Okay, so um, the the sender, I don't, like, I feel like if they're sending us stuff, we can say their names, or can we not? Like, wh- wh- how do you feel about that? Uh, say the whole name. I'll bleep if I feel like it. Okay, so um, this this email is from Charles Coletta, uh, and they sent and the subject is Hanna Barbera characters coming to NYC, hmm. um, and then there's a link, a URL, and it underneath this is FYI. Uh, so what I did was I clicked the link, and my computer was beset by Trojans. <laughs> God, and darn. <laughs> Are you serious? No, no, no. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I was like, yeah, we need to call this guy um, out by name. It is. It is actually really cool. Um, and basically, I'm gonna read the uh, the headline uh, that mm. of the the website that it br- brings me to. Um, it's a, <laughs> a what's up, Doc? Zoinks! Yabba dabba doo! Join Bugs Bunny, Scooby Doo, the Flintstones, and more as they take over New York City with an immersive ex- exper- experiential pop up. So, um, for all of our listeners who reside in New York City, um, the Big Apple. On October 6th through October 8th, um, they will be able to uh, to find these pop-ups in Soho, uh, and which, honestly, I think is super cool. Uh, so, I mean, if you have kids, maybe you want to take them to that. If you, uh, if you like cartoons and you like this old, like, Hanna-Barbera stuff, yeah, by all means. I, I'm going to put a link on our website, um, but I think it's really cool, and, and yeah, they said just, they put the link, they said FYI, and... I'm really glad that they pointed it out, pointed this out to us. Oh my gosh. 
This is um, so cool. I desperately want to go to this now. Oh my gosh, this is cool. I wish I was closer to New York. I can make it. If you're in the New York area, we're telling you about this now. You can still make yeah, it. Yeah, like this This episode will come out uh, on the 2nd, and you have an entire week to like ready yourselves and like attend this thing. It's this next week. Get weekend. your tickets. October 6th to October 8th. This year, 2017, between 12 p.m. and 7 p.m. So I just want to say, Charles, if you are listening to this episode, thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciate you pointing this out to us. Um, if you're going... If you want to email us and tell us how it was, unfortunately, Luke and I cannot attend, but we strongly urge everyone to. It sounds like we're showing, but this it's pretty sweet. If we show anything on this podcast besides ourselves and this podcast, it's Scooby-Doo and other Hanna-Barbera cartoons. We encourage people to get into this stuff because we're into this stuff. And listeners, you should get into this if you're at all able to make it to this kind of event. It looks amazing. At least so you can take pictures and send them to us and tell us how it was because I want to know. I can't be there. Uh, and that is that is it. Um, that brings us... I don't have any more surprises for you, unfortunately. I just mentioned that we'd really love it if you would also rate us five stars on iTunes, leave us a review. If you do so, we'll read that review on the air. Evan will read it. No matter what you say, I will bleep it, depending on what you say. Yeah, we, we've really said, like, no... I mean, I was going to say no holds barred. Please bar some of your holds. Regardless of what you type up in your review, I'm obliged to read it on the podcast. I, I'm still requesting that some lone hero out there write a review that says, I love you, Luke. This is coming from me, Evan, sincerely from my heart. So that Evan has to read that to me. Even if Evan makes me bleep that all out in the outro, he'll have to have said those words to me. So and please, I'm, I'm urging you listeners, please do leave us five-star reviews on iTunes. Please do not ask me to say that. Uh, and that really, that really is the whole episode. Thank you guys for joining us for Jeepers. It's the Jaguaro. It really was... The Jaguaro. <laughs> and, and I will just say that uh, to each and every one of our listeners, I, I love you from the bottom of my heart. I, I also love and appreciate our listeners, particularly our patrons, but no one in the world more than you, Evan, who I love dearly. And as I've mentioned, I really do love our listeners. They're great. They're just, they're wonderful people. A lot of love going around. <laughs> <laughs>